Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host, and I am here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And we want to thank you for joining us right here on the Housing Hour. We appreciate you so much, and we hope that you go to our website, thehousinghour.com, to learn more about our guest. Also be able to listen to current shows, past shows, share those with friends and family. And we're also on all the social networking platforms as well. Find us on Facebook, just search for The Housing Hour, or on Twitter, at The Housing Hour, and just search on Pinterest for Mark's Pinterest page as well. <laughs> Always it's not up. true. It's not <laughs> true. <laughs> anyway, so today we're continuing on uh, to talk about something that we're very passionate about, and that is our, our communities. And, you know, the state of Tennessee has a lot of communities. We have a lot of, we all have a lot of counties. We have a lot of cities. You know, it stretches from Memphis to the Tri-Cities and everywhere in between. We have a lot of different types of people, a lot of different types of communities. And one of the um, things that is happening in our communities is that we may um, see, if you've been watching the news, there's been violence that's broke out. There's been um, problems within our school systems. We, you know, every community has its issues that um, as a community, they like to rally around and try to prevent. And, and so we all have those. And part of us unpacking that for you is to bring experts on to talk about um, how, what solutions are out there, what can we do to help, you know, those type of things, because there's so many options out there. And, and we want, like we did last week, and we're going to do in the future, we want to bring to you the very latest. So today on the show, we have Mr. Monty Burks. Um, he is with the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, and he helps us understand what's going on out there. So, Monty, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you guys for having me in. Absolutely. I want to talk, Monty, big picture first before we get into what you actually do, because um, one of the things that we talked about off air is that there is really an epidemic of substance abuse that's happening across our country. And I think it's a, a misunderstood disease, and I think it's a misunderstood affliction that people have. And so one of the things that people ask is, well, you know, people who seem to be in this rut and can't get out, it's just a matter of A, willpower, or B, they need to be saved, you know, Sometimes that's actually not really the answer, and you're doing yourself and the person who's afflicted a disservice by saying, well, they just need more willpower. Oh, they just need to be saved, because sometimes it is a physical, literally, allergy. So talk about big picture. What, what do you see in your experience, um, and tell, tell me a little bit about your thoughts about that. Well, you know, it's great that you brought that point up, and, and to, to, uh, to clarify, addiction is a disease. It's a curable, treatable disease, mm -hmm. uh, but we have to look at it from that standpoint. It takes over people's impulses. Uh, their reward motivation system is, it, it becomes cloudy the longer that they use drugs or, or alcohol. And so sometimes we have people that uh, we can't understand how a person could leave their child in a car for four hours and go into a hotel and shoot up with needles. Well, that person may not have even realized they were gone for four hours. 
they they hunger for drugs and drug use more than they need affection, more than they need food, more than they need water. And that is taken over. Uh, their impulse connections are, are removed and, and replaced with the need and the desire to use and utilize drugs. And, and what I think is that the, the, the faith community is the key, the last strong point in being able to reach these people. We have to move beyond the language of moral failing and look at addiction as, as a treatable disease. Uh, mm -hmm. The faith community has so many people who have so many different types of struggles that they've been through for so long. And that's one reason that so many people gravitate to the faith community, because they have the message of an open door policy. Mm -hmm. uh, let us help you. We're here for this. And there's so much joy and, and so much wonderful things going on. But we don't want to separate the two from the people who are afflicted. We want to let them know. I come from the faith community, and I'm also a person who is in recovery. I've been in recovery for 16 years, mm. um, and I'm currently I'm currently I'm a product of how a, a good relationship with the faith community can actually help someone matriculate and change their lives um, mm. and and make it through an addiction uh, process and recover. Mm. Um, I myself, 16 years ago, I was in college, took some wrong turns. Next thing you know, I lost everything I had. Uh, now I have graduated, have a master's degree in criminal justice. I'm currently pursuing my doctorate in theology, and I'm in recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason that I succeeded in my recovery is because someone in the faith community reached out to me because they saw my pain, mm -hmm. and they helped me. They walked with me. They guided me. Uh, they didn't tell me that, well, you know, this is what's going to happen to you. Nah, 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 nah. Instead, mm -hmm. they met me where I was. And help me reestablish myself, re kind of uh, help me rebuild my moral compass, so I could find my way. And uh, and since then, uh, my mission has been able to has been to reach out to as many people as possible and connect them with recovery programs. Mm, that's awesome, and and I think that that is so amazing. Your story and where you've come from and how you've overcome so many obstacles, and now what you're doing is right in line with what your passion is and what you feel saved you. And I think that's what's really incredible. Now you're the director of faith-based initiatives, and your role is to engage the faith community in providing recovery support options in our communities. And so you're really doing what God made you to do, aren't you? I, I believe I am. I absolutely yeah. believe I am. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful and, um, and honorable thing to be able to be the conduit and the liaison uh, between the state and the churches to, to get the churches engaged, to get the, co the congregations, the faith communities. Uh, you know, we have all different types of diverse faiths and denominations, but one thing they share is faith, mm. faith in something. Mm -hmm. And we have um, a duty to the other citizens of this state. And some people may not agree with me, but I believe if we want to heal this land, we have to do it as one body. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to do it as one unit. Mm -hmm. And reaching out to people, and, and just because uh, we've made it or we stand at a, a position where we say we're not suffering from something, doesn't mean we have to forget about those who are in pain. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes just a kind word is enough to to bridge somebody, but sometimes that's not enough. Yeah. And, and part of my role is, I'm going to be the bridge to give the faith community that information mm -hmm. so they can see exactly what they're dealing with and how they can help people. Yeah, and I mean, when you go and talk with these um, faith-based communities, the churches, the pastors, and things of that nature, what a powerful message that you have and what you're bringing because you can relate it to yourself and say, hey, here's what happened with me 16 years ago. I was one of many. and maybe you have experience also of feeling ostracized by some other people in the faith-based community. But the bottom line was you are able to acknowledge that there are imperfections out there, 
as far as the faith-based community. We all, you know, have the tendency to say, well, they just need to pull their bootstraps up and they just need to move on. So that is so powerful. And I think I don't want to miss that point because there are so many people sitting in the pews in America that look across the aisle and see somebody who might be struggling with drug addiction and they want to just not even have anything to do with them. They're, they're scared that they're gonna, it's going to rub off on them or that they're going to be associated with someone. And, you know, what do you think about that? Because I'm, I'm going to start going off in a moment. Well, but. no, man, man, but I'm with you. Yeah. I, I'm with you. And it all goes back to the stigma associated with people who suffer from addiction. Mm-hmm. When we turn our television on, we rarely see uh, sitcoms and stories about people who recover we only see the part right. where some something bad happened with someone who suffered from addiction mm-hmm. or someone who was suffering from addiction, right. someone who's not in recovery. You know, all we see is he did this, they did that, they, them, those, blah. Well, in reality, those are us. Mm-hmm. And the powerful presence that the people in the pews have is they're there, they have a captive audience right mm-hmm. there beside them. We have this thing called stigma in the, in the recovery community. Uh, people that are in recovery feel stigmatized by other people around them. You know, they kind of feel like, hey, they don't really want to deal with me. And it's because of a, a long uh, process they've been through kind of being shunned by certain people. And I understand you burn bridges at times. Mm-hmm. I get that. But stigma works two ways. Not only does the person who suffers from addiction feel stigmatized, but sometimes the people that want to help them feel like they're going to be judged by their peers for reaching across that aisle mm-hmm. and helping someone. And addiction is this generation's cancer. So what was a problem 20 years ago is completely different. There's more avenues to get to that bad road now. I'm not going to say completely different. It's just the language has changed. Addiction is still the same, but there's more ways and more things now. Addiction is like a predator, uh, an ever-evolving predator. And if anybody on here is listening and you guys have ever hunted before, you can hunt or trap something. And after you do it for so long, you can, if you want to, you can, uh, not, you can underestimate the knowledge of that animal or that predator. But it still learns to outsmart you when you trap it. Addiction is the same way. We always think we have it under control and we had this under control and we were after heroin and we had marijuana and we thought we had it. At least we knew what it was. (laughs) And lo and behold, we thought we had it all. Our kids went under the kitchen sink and made meth. Mm -hmm. Now tell me that's not a predator. Tell me that's not what a predator does. And bath salts. And bath salts. You know, er every angle we take. Uh, we're coming up with something new. So mm-hmm. let's look at it from a different standpoint. Let's address the people that are using. Help them recover. Use them as, 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 as uh, uh, to be missionaries to go out and tell other people, hey, I suffered from addiction, but I made it. Sometimes we're not going to, uh, one day we'll be able to, to gain the footing and the grounds to, to stop all of the stuff from coming in. I do believe that's going to happen. But I believe how that happens is we train our society and our people to not engage in the activity that's right but how we do that is not saying well you did it so i'm gonna throw you in a garbage can Mm -hmm. you know that's not what we need to do we need to take the the most powerful people to deliver a message are the ones who've been burned by the fire because they know how it feels yeah let me also get your opinion on this because speaking of fire you're on fire for this and you're so passionate about it um i I think it's amazing um you know there's a there's something happening within our society has been for a long time it's not new but there's, there tends to be this reaction by doctors, pediatricians, parents, that they see their kids misbehaving in class. Maybe they're not paying attention. Maybe they're not doing good in school. Maybe they're not good in social settings. So what do we do? We take them to the doctor and somebody says, oh, they need to be prescribed Ritalin. They think, well, they have ADD. Now, I will say this. There certainly are certain instances where there's a chemical imbalance. And I don't want to take that away from the people who truly have that 
that disorder because I, I trust me, I know, been there, done that. I realize that. But there are also, I think there's a tendency for us, just as a society, to think, oh, there's a problem. We just need to prescribe something for it. And I think that tends, if, if that little individual has that gene in them that is susceptible to addiction, and maybe you don't know it, if you start giving that child a prescription of whether it be a Valium or uh, some sort of stimulant to keep them, you're going to set them up maybe for failure in the future. So it's education, isn't it? It's understanding all of that. Absolutely. Some people have a genetic predisposition to be addicts. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a, the, the biopsychosocial model means that they've, some people are just surrounded by different ways to walk off a cliff, if, mm-hmm. if you will. And mm-hmm. how we combat that is... I understand just like you that there are people that need medication, right? obviously. Mm-hmm. But if we educate our community on, okay, these are your options. Maybe we should look into these before we go that route. Right. And also we should look into a, uh, look into the history of your family. Absolutely. Uh, see, you know, if you are have... Are you susceptible? Pro- right. Are you susceptible? Sometimes it's right there in your face. Mm-hmm. And this is my, this is my understanding. This is, the, this is how I feel. Uh, we have a, a large state, huge population, uh, mm-hmm. 6.5 million people. Uh, half of our state are people of faith, mm-hmm. more than half, about mm-hmm. 54, 55%. If we can get that 54, 55% to agree, first of all, 54% of our state don't agree on anything, <laughs> but they all do agree they're people of faith. Right. If we can get that message and transplant that message and edu- that education piece to them, I think that we're going to start getting that point. Educate yourselves. Educate your community. Be, you may not be able to address a larger community, but yeah. you can address the one that's in your household. And even though, and I agree completely with you, um, no doubt about it, and even those that other 50% or whatever, they may not be in the faith community, and they may not consider themselves Christians, but even non-Christians sometimes make good decisions. If we can get them to make some better decisions and then hopefully share the gospel with them along the way, man, we'll get two for one, right? So we're going to continue this conversation with Monty Burke, where he's from the state of Tennessee, um, director of faith-based community initiatives for our great state. And we're going to continue this conversation with him right after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I'm your host. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, An extraordinary conversation here. And don't we all want to walk on water? You know, I think it's so profound, the story about Jesus, you know, asking Peter to come out on the water. And and then as soon as he realized that he was on the water, he turned his eyes from Jesus and he started to sink. You know, and and that was what it was. Is we can do anything we want to do. The power is within us. We just have to keep our eyes on the one who made us, and he's going to ultimately give us that strength. But as soon as we turn our eyes away, and I think that 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 story is so paramount in my life because as soon as I start thinking I can do things on my own, as soon as I think I, I've got this or I'm the one that's making this happen, the sooner I'm going to start sinking. But it's the, the more I understand that it's not from my strength that gives me what I have, it's from God, you know, the better off I'm going to be and the better I'm going to be able to stay afloat. Um, Mark, you had a great 
um, piece off air. Why don't you share that with us? And well, ask you, a made, question. you made an excellent point about um, over-prescribing, over-medicating, and over-diagnosing some of the youth in our in our country. Mm-hmm. But there's another side of this, and, and that's where I was wanting to ask Monty about the, the mental health aspect of what he does, because a lot of times we miss kids, and maybe inner-city kids, maybe, you know, wherever, upper affluent, it doesn't matter. But we miss them. They have a problem. Maybe it's a depression issue, whatever, where it, whatever it is, they, they will lead to self-medicate. And that sometimes is where these drugs come into play. What's your role in that? How do you identify that? That's a good point. Well, part of this initiative, um, <clears throat> what the initiative is, we're trying to, to engage as many churches across all the nominations, churches and faith-based institutions, organizations, uh, and t- with education, obviously. Uh, we have a program called the Certified Peer Recovery Specialist, who um, the, the, the CPRS is what it's called. Uh, we that person is trained on how to to deal with people, um, how to how to guide people that have mental health issues and substance abuse issues. I'm trying to get one of those trained in every single church and congregation across the state, and that's actually a free training that we provide through our through this. So a lay person could do this. It's a, a lay person can do it. There's only one. They have to have one specific criteria. They have to be two years in recovery themselves. Mm. Oh, that is and. and there, that is a state certification. They have to have continuing education hours to keep it certified every year. Um, but what that person will be able to do is be a direct liaison, liaison between the church and all of the different recovery uh, programs and, and activities that go on across, across the country. Um, and, and, and to better address that question, part of this initiative, we, dep- we partner with the Department of Education uh, to provide a mental health toolkit uh, for, for um, different uh, areas in the, in the state specifically for this initiative, the faith community. So we bring people in to train people in the church to be able to recognize those warning signs when someone is having a mental health issue. And it doesn't have to necessarily be just sister or brother or deacon. It can be miss or, or him or her or anybody can come in and say, hey, it's a, it's a, a one-day training, eight hours, and we have pe- professionals come in and teach how to deal with the warning signs. What do I do from here? How, wh- this is what I see. What's the next thing I see? Who do I call? And if you have a certified, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have a certified peer recovery specialist on staff to be able to work with that person or a, per- or a, a certified peer recovery specialist volunteer, you've already, already put two dents in that thing right there. You're fixing to beat it. Mm-hmm. All right? And the key is awareness. Uh, you made a great point. How do you see it? What do you do? The first thing is learning to see it. Uh, sometimes things happen right in our face, and we just don't know what we're looking at. Um, there's also uh, there's also an infant mental health toolkit that we're working with, and if you guys uh, bear with me, I will send you that information so you can share it with the, uh, the faith community uh, in this area. And I would love to be able to uh, to get that mental health toolkit out to some of the churches here in the uh, Knox area. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we and I know that Mark's church does, a lot of churches do this, is that they've they've sort of, um, and I know my church has completely shifted. We don't do Sunday school anymore at our church. We literally have no Sunday school whatsoever. We focus on small groups. So what we do is we have small groups that that branch off throughout the week, whenever's convenient for you. And about 60% of our church, I believe, is in small groups. So what we do is on Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we have a group of about 18 people that meet at one person's house. So I think that there's a shift that's happening within the church where they're changing from that corporate worship on Sunday. Not that they don't do that. They do that also. But rather than doing the, the Bible study, the traditional Bible study, they're starting to branch off into these smaller communities. And I'll tell you why they're doing that. At least this is what our pastor says, is that it's hard for a pastor and his team 
to be able to minister to a body of 7,000, which is what Faith Promise runs every week. So there's no possible way that he's going to be able, or, or Pastor Josh Whitehead or, or the, the worship leader, they're not going to be able to minister out. So what they've done is, is they've created this. Um, they, they didn't create it. They didn't reinvent the wheel. But you have a ton of small groups, and those are the people that minister to the body, right? Yes. So I think if you're out there and you're in a faith-based community, 54% of our entire population is in um, a church, a congregation. We have over 11,542 faith-based congregations, which amazingly ranks us 10th in the United States. Yes. That's really <clears throat> tremendous. So you your church might have went to that model which is a better model you have more leadership at your church maybe you you know you want to get connected and become what it is that certified what did you call it a certified peer recovery specialist and, and you have some recovery under your belt you know there's a ton of people out there that are in recovery you wouldn't even know it because they're just normal productive people so is is that something that people should think about they they need it does it can it just be one person from the church or can it be multiple people oh, it can be multiple people okay. and I, I think the better because we're uh, kind of all in recovery to right be we're all in recovery from something man you know yeah. and i think the more the better because you may have a person who is in recovery from alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a person who's in recovery from heroin addiction. And you may have someone from prescription pill addiction. Mm -hmm. If you have three of those people on staff, that's three people that mm -hmm. can deal with 300 more. Right. Uh, you know, you, you always, um, speaking someone's language that suffers from addiction mm -hmm. is one of those ways we can bridge that gap. Uh, right. Communication is key. Sometimes it, I myself, I'm, I'm well-versed in, in uh issues that are that surround addiction but sometimes I still don't understand some of the things the younger people talk about mm -hmm. because it's an evolving thing right and uh, but I always say hold on just give me a minute because I know where to direct them mm -hmm. and that's that's the power you have 7,000 members at your church mm -hmm. statistically by the numbers we pull across the state you have about seven members seven congregation members per one person who suffers from addiction mm -hmm. absolutely but there's so. something else too yeah i mean it's not just addiction and we can't look at it like that person has a problem there is a codependency that comes oh, with addiction yeah. and and there are you take Boom. that person it's mm -hmm. like a network out you could spider that out and it's you're touched church. by it it's, it's the, the whole church. church anybody that says that well yes i know somebody in my family has an addiction right. is potentially a codependent I'm a codependent. Mm -hmm. Kevin, I don't know if you, you have are done or not. nothing to codependent me. You need yeah. to start. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. <laughs> just, just my Pinterest account could be. <laughs> but you nailed it, though. There, no, it everybody is. is We're touched by potentially. It. Yeah. Yes. How do you address that? I mean, that's just a bigger. I mean, people don't even realize they're codependent, and they're they're having issues in yeah. in their life, and they don't realize it. Yeah. Well, three out of four Tennesseans are touched by addiction. Doesn't necessarily mean they use, but it means right. either somebody they're close to or somebody in their immediate family suffers from addiction. Mm. Um, I think that the key piece is the education piece, uh, and 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 because this initiative targets the faith community, I'll give you an example of, of how powerful it can be. If a pastor, a faith leader, a an imam, or, or whatever the faith leader is in that. A bishop, whatever. I, I work with all denominations, so forgive me if I uh, miss mm. somebody. I want to make sure everybody knows that's listening that I respect and, and adore mm. and appreciate all the work that you guys do. But if the person who stands in the hierarchy leadership role openly addresses addiction and recovery, the, usually the flock will follow. Mm. That's the first key in the educational piece. Yeah, that, is, right. that is the piece. And once that person tells people, hey, let's embrace these people, meet them where they are, walk with them on their journey. I do understand the codependency. I, I totally get it. But once we educate people on how they're being codependent, mm -hmm. 
okay, is this going on with you? Then this is something you may need to look at. Now you can't, oh, you don't yeah. not. Let's not force people. Let's just right. give them options. Right. Give them options. Uh, forcing people is not historically how hard is forcing people worked. It doesn't work. No, yeah. it doesn't work at all. It makes it causes resentment. Yeah. How many and people do you have uh, trained so far? A certified peer yeah. recovery specialist. Uh-huh. I think we have uh, about eight hundred across the state. Wow. Wow, that's good. Wow, that's we good. need a lot more though. I need eight hundred more in Knoxville. I right tell now. you, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and the whole enabling and the codependency thing and that's something that we can touch on later in the show but I mean the fact is that people who enable and who are codependents are actually making the problem for the addicted person a lot worse even though you feel like you you really in your heart feel like you're doing something to help them you really feel like you're trying to help them get out of where they are you're actually killing them and that I know that may, maybe don't like that statement and we'll touch more on that so you don't kill me we'll be right back after these, <laughs> right, after no these messages <laughs> Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. Again, it's Kevin Ray, and thank you guys for joining us. We really appreciate the opportunity to speak into your life, and hopefully this is something that can help you or your family member Um, Maybe you know someone who is struggling with addiction. Maybe you know somebody who um, is a codependent. You know, that can be almost equally as disabling and debilitating as the addiction itself. I tell you what, and, you know, just so you know, I don't want you to think I was coming down on people who are helping their their loved one. I don't want that to be the message whatsoever. But, you know, we, we have to understand that people who are addicted and who, who are struggling, you know, if you can make their life easier, they're never going to learn from their mistakes. And that doesn't mean that you can't be there and be of support and offer bridges to solutions and do all of the things that they need. But as soon as you start doing things for them, they won't be able to ever do it themselves. And so, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you know, you have to understand that that is an important piece of the codependency role and it can, it can hurt them. But you know, you have to understand too, that there are solutions for you as well, if you do struggle with that. And it's so important for uh, the faith community to understand that because we have a lot of codependence in the church and Mark just pointed to it. Um, but why don't we, if you don't mind, um, tell me, cause I'd like to know really from a, I guess, practical standpoint, is the piece where they become registered or become um, whatever you called it, certified, certified, certified. is that one of your main thrusts in that? Because you can connect with most people in that in that way, right? Yes. And that's that's actually one of the smaller pieces of this initiative. Okay, Uh, Talk to me. What we're trying to do is uh, get as many churches across the state get as many churches across the state to to talk about recovery, mm. uh, to provide recovery support. Recovery support tends to take the face of a 12-step meeting, mm-hmm. but that's not the only way you can provide recovery support. All you need is someone there with a cup of coffee or, or a glass of water or a bottle of water that says, hey, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to network the churches together across the state to become one unit, mm-hmm. where if a church has only three people and one has 30,000, obviously the three-person church may not have the functional or operational capacity to be able to address that addiction. But if they're friends with the church that has 30,000 that has a Celebrate Recovery, that has an AA or an NA or one of the other programs, they're going to say, hey, I'm going to send you to this guy because we're working together on this initiative to to support our community, to rebuild our community. And 
you're not sending, I, I want to reiterate this message. They don't send out a person from the church. They're not throwing them away. They're sending them somewhere to come back as that ambassador to be able to start the recovery program at their own institution. Mm -hmm. uh, we right now are working with hundreds of churches across the state to help them build their own recovery support programs. Uh, in uh, Franklin County, Tennessee, uh, Winchester, we have 11 churches that have built a faith-based recovery coalition. We have 11 wow. churches who provide different services, but they share. They are from different denominations. They are different races, different ethnicities, different cultures. Some are affluent, some are not so affluent. But what they've done is one has a feeding ministry, one has a clothing ministry, one has a homeless ministry, and one has a celebrate recovery. They share those and they That's transport awesome. people between. And they do this That's on awesome. their own. They do this. I'm helping them right now. They're, they're, uh, I'm helping them get trainings in so they can share that trainings. But the seeds that they're planting right now are something that's going to be huge as it, as it grows across the state. Uh, Pulaski, Tennessee has done the same thing. They're just in the beginning stages. Lincoln County, Tennessee is doing the same thing. Um, uh, Sneedville, Tennessee, um, is it Hancock County? Yeah. Is it mm -hmm. Hancock County? That's one of the uh, counties. Yes. Uh, up in that area, mm -hmm. they're doing the same thing. Some of our more rural areas um, don't have the, the same resources. Right. Uh, some of the churches are small. I've, I've, I've met with churches that with two members. <laughs> wow. I've met with churches with <laughs> 20,000 followers. Uh, obviously, you'll we're never not gonna... lose a vote if you're a pastor with the two <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> it's always going to be <laughs> right. But you know, you have these these powerful entities, but they're both powerful in their own right because they both can deliver a message to somebody else. Mm. Um, and the more churches that uh, again, this initiative is to re is to engage the faith community uh, to provide recovery support. Even if the uh, the churches that I contact don't want to work with us, I still send them as much as much informational resources as I can mm -hmm. because it's somebody free. this it, stuff it's is free. free. Right. It's right. free. It's it's you know right. it's this is the state of Tennessee. We have all this information and research we do about addiction. Mm -hmm. I want to share it with the faith community right. so they can utilize it with their their captive audience. Yes, absolutely. I, I, and I have a question because I, I saw this in Celebrate Recovery. I had a friend that was in it, and I didn't realize that they were going through that problem. But they were going through Celebrate Recovery, and they. Relapsed. So, what happens to that individual, and how do you coach the other faith-based groups where to keep that person engaged in trying to? Because it's like quitting smoking. I would assume that you quit, you start, you quit, you start. These folks may go back, and they may regress, and you come back. You don't kick them out. You don't send them to the wolves. How do you address that? Mm -hmm. Again, I'm gonna the education piece. When you have people who are educated and suited to to recognize when a person has relapsed, they understand that when a person relapsed, that they they may come back full of anger and resentment toward the actual place they relapsed from. Mm -hmm. But when you have people that are trained and understand what that looks like, and what do I do when they do this? How do I walk with them when they do this? That's the key piece. A person that has no experience with addiction doesn't know what happens when somebody relapses. Mm -hmm. they, think, they think when somebody relapses, they made a, a logical choice to go out and live that life again, and I'm not going to deal with them anymore. Well, actually, when people's brain circuitry is altered, sometimes it's really easy for them to get back on that bike and pedal the same way. We, I, I learned to ride a bicycle the right way my whole life. If somebody told me right now to pedal it another way, I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the drug addiction takes over people's minds like that. We have to retrain them, but we also have to not, we have to retrain them, but we have to train the people that are gonna surround them. The support system has to realize who they're supporting and what they're supporting. If they don't know what it looks like, they don't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and I, I have so many different examples to use, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a martial artist for life. 
Okay, I, I, I train in jiu-jitsu. I teach Muay Thai kickboxing. Before I knew what Muay Thai kickboxing was, I ran out there because I had a, a Taekwondo background and thought I was going to do some kicks. Mm-hmm. And then got kicked me in the leg. Mm. I'd never been kicked in my leg before, and I can still feel it as I tell you right now. I cringe from it because it hurt me that so bad. You can't pedal the bike the same. Now. Nah, you can't. You can't. You have to learn. You have to learn a different way. I had to learn how to adapt and overcome, and that's what we ha- we're trying to give the faith community different options. Somebody in the faith community may not necessarily agree with the moral standpoint behind people who suffer from addiction, but at mm. least we can give them the education to be able to understand it mm. or to try to understand it. And, and that's, that's kind of the key point, and I hope that answered that question for you. Yeah, I wish that there was an initiative from, from out in the federal government like No Addict Left Behind, you know, <laughs> instead of No Child Left Behind. Because I think that one of our biggest mistakes as a community, as a nation, is to try to take this problem and, and put it under the rug and sweep it under the rug. Because, you know, the fact is we have a lot of people in prison because they have sold drugs or they were caught with drugs or they stole something from a store under the influence or they had a DUI multiple times and we put them behind bars and we say you know what you're going to do your time you're going to be locked up you're not going to have any other way out and you know churches are starting to pick up um, the tab and also our communities are and our government is and if we can only just educate like what Monty's talking about help us understand you know even if it's from a selfish standpoint say oh so if I can help them get help then maybe the crime rate will go down or maybe we'll see better um, relationships within the inner city or even in the other sides of the community I mean it is a win-win situation for you you're doing the commandments of making the disciples of all nations but you're also helping your community indirectly absolutely you know utilize utilizing that one person in your congregation and all the congregations that are listening to me now um, you have someone that's there that has been has been down this path Uh, utilizing that person because they found their path utilize them to be able to reach out to those other people and help them find their path I, how, how do I have a couple of minutes to share yes. a couple of quick stories? Yeah, you got a couple minutes, maybe one and a half minutes. Well, uh, gotcha. <laughs> I, I went and met, recently met with a with a one of the churches that wanted to start a recovery program. Uh, met with the church board, uh, and they had some extra people come in, almost twenty people. And we sat down and we talked. And I talked to the pastor, and he said, "Hey, we need to we need to address addiction. We have two thousand two hundred members in our church, but we have all these people in our community. They lived in a community that they could see it going down. Mm-hmm. So the pastor said, you know, nobody in my church has ever came to me and said I suffered from addiction. Uh, and you know, we I asked him had had he talked about it openly he said he had just started to kind of tip the iceberg a little bit I said good he said well I want to do a recovery meeting here for the community but I have nobody to run it and uh, I said well have you asked anybody in the in the church board or anybody have they suffered from addiction or do they have experience he said well no and he, the pastor had been there for 20 years the eldest deacon raised his hand during this meeting he had been there for 21 years mm-hmm. the eldest deacon said I've been in recovery for 20 years and the pastor looked at him and said uh oh oh really oh I'm sorry. Uh, why didn't you tell me? Well, the, then the deacon, uh, the deacon says to him, you never asked. Mm. You never asked me. Wow. So now they have a huge recovery meeting wow. and they share with other meetings. So I just wanted to share that. That's how powerful just talking about it can uh, be. Oh, yeah. No, yes. that's a great point. And I think that just doing the ask, you know, and if you have this with if you have a, a group of deacons or you have the leadership team and you want to have this in your church, man, that's a great great story because sometimes we have to ask if we don't ask someone what 
what's going on in their lives, maybe the relationship isn't what you thought it was. Absolutely. Because that is an important piece. So we have one more segment. It's a yes. short segment, but we do have Monty Burke with us. Burks, actually. Is there an S on there? Yes, there oh, is an S. You didn't you didn't tell me that earlier. Oh, man. You just I, let me keep talking. Man, I'm having a good time on Joy 620, man. Absolutely. I'll tell you what. <laughs> We're going to give you all of his contact information, and we're going to wrap up this wonderful show right when we come back after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. We have Monty Burks with us from the state of Tennessee, Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. He's the director of Faith-Based Communities, a division of Substance Abuse Services, and they do have services. And um, this this gentleman is here talking to us and telling us about what his initiatives are. And hopefully you've learned a little bit about that. And, you know, um, I don't want to say uh, Monty has an uphill battle because that's not the case at all. But in the, um, in the rooms of recovery in that realm, they talk about the disease of addiction. And you can, you can replace that with the devil. You can say it's the disease, it's the devil. It's one and the same in my mind. And so it, overcoming the, the absolute insidious evil um, nature of the, the disease, he's trying his hardest to derail what Monty's doing because he's doing the good work. He's going out there and trying to bridge gaps that have never been bridged before. He's doing what it is that I believe we are all called to do, and that is to make disciples of all nations. And I think that's what you stand for. And I think that your initiatives could reach so many people. And I think that what you're doing is admirable, and I think it's awesome. And in our church, in our small group, we'll do whatever it takes to help you. And um, and the first thing is to help you connect to my church. And I'm going to definitely do that because I think it's important. Um, in, in, in the last three minutes, Mark has got something, but I want you to give all your contact information. We'll also have your information on our website as well for anyone who would like it. Well, the other thing that Monty does is, uh, you know, so, so oftentimes our little congregation, we become closed in that group and we right. become isolated. Mm-hmm. We isolate ourselves. Yeah. And and but the body of Christ is a lot bigger than right. your congregation. And what Monty's doing yes. is connecting the body together in in a right. in a way that would is just building up Absolutely. lives. It's the Brentwood uh, that you gave yeah. us off air how you're doing that there and and also in the other communities. That's amazing. Uh, and and at Brentwood, you know, I had 240 deacons came in. Mm-hmm. 240 deacons came in from across the state to talk about addiction. That's a powerful message right there in and of itself that they came together to talk about addiction. Mm-hmm. I think deacons are a real strong point. I call the deacons the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys are, are pivotal pieces inside of the faith community. And again, uh, thank you for letting me come here and share this message. I'm just trying to reach as many people as possible. I also want to just clarify that I don't mean to take away from the mothers of the church because they're probably the most powerful, influential group of people Amen. in any church. Mm-hmm. And I had some, some of the church mothers came and talked to one of my programs one day, and in six minutes— they got more than we got in six months wow. out of a group of long-term guys. Long-term guys that had been in, that had some serious time. Right. So again, that's the power that's in the pews. That's right. the power. Yeah, and, and as men, we need to rise up and be leaders. And not that women aren't leaders; they certainly are. I can tell you, in my house, they are. <laughs> but, <laughs> Mine too. Yes, but, yes. But we need to also recognize that when there's a problem, 
Um, you know, like Vanilla I said, if there's a problem, you all solve it. We need to rise up and be the problem solvers, be the leaders of our church, be the folks that are standing up for what's right and not expect other people to do it. We can't just sit back on our and rest on our laurels and uh, our blessed assurances and, and expect things to change. If you want to change, using Michael Jackson, look at the man in the mirror, and we got to make that change. I can't believe I just said Vanilla Ice and Michael Jackson yeah, in one sentence. pretty good. But that's okay. He brought the 80s back, man. He brought the 80s back. <laughs> um, but, you know, Monty, I tell you what, we really appreciate you coming in. You're thanking us, but we're really thanking you mm-hmm. because bringing this information is so important. Well, you know, people, the, the message is people can and will recover from addiction with faith, mm-hmm. uh, faith is, you know, obviously we have people that we work with, secular and non-secular. I uh, want to be able to help everybody, but this initiative targets the faith community because of their strategic locations. And mm-hmm. we have churches, over 11,000 churches across 95 counties. There's not one thing in every county other than a church or faith-based organization. Yeah. So you look at that and you think about that. Yeah. Uh, well, and I thank you so much. And we'll have all the information up on the website. And one of the things that our pastor will have a series right now, it's called um, Love Is. And God, Jesus, commanded us to love. And sometimes we don't like doing what we're commanded to do, but, but God and Jesus is the CEO. And if he's the CEO of your life, you know, you have to do what he commands us to do. And love is love. You, you got to understand that. Love is not being hateful or being angry or, 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 you know, sweeping somebody under the rug. Love is being there for those people. So I want to thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Monty. Thank, thank you. you to Dave. Thank you to Mark. And guys, thank you to Mortgage Investors Group who made this show possible. We'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour. That's The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.